for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to this special edition of BizTalk, where we delve into the Belt and Road Initiative and the pivotal role of the private sector. We will explore how businesses participating in the BRI can drive innovation, stimulate economic growth, and facilitate the development of sustainable infrastructure. Our featured guest is Sandal Jumbo, Assistant Secretary General and CEO and Executive Director of the UN Global Compact, the world's largest corporate sustainability initiative. With her extensive experience and leadership in promoting sustainable development and responsible business practices, Ms. Ojambo has played a crucial role in advancing the United Nations goals. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. So, Ms. Ojambo, let's talk about the Belt and Road Initiative, which is celebrating the 10th anniversary. How important is engagement with the private sector to the initiative's success? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Guan, and it's a real pleasure to be with you for this important conversation. As you mentioned, it's the marking of the 10th anniversary mm. of that, and there's been tremendous engagement. I think $1 trillion of, of investments in Belt and Road projects, over 3,000 projects around the world mm. from places as diverse as Serbia, as Argentina, um, as, uh, um, as Ghana, for example, and, and Pakistan. So it's really great to see the impact that the Belt and Road Initiative has had. In this is, is the private sector. Sector. I mean, I think in, in there's no part of the world that has fully been able to realize economic growth and social development without the private sector. I think it's absolutely important, not only as contractors, but also as providers of finance, as innovators, providers of technology. It's a very important component for us. Mm. We're talking about the guidance and assessment tools for private companies trying to accelerate their sustainable development. How do they leverage these tools? in their pursuit of sustainable future? Yeah, I mean, first, there's two parts to it. So at the Global Compact, we have what we call our 10 principles, which for us are fundamental principles for business to be sustainable. Mm. Uh, it talks about how you manage your environmental footprint, mm. how you respect and promote labor rights and human rights, You know, provide decent work conditions and, and living wages, and also how you aim to combat uh, corruption in all of its forms. Mm. But as a guiding North Star and within the realms of the UN, we have the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm. And when the goals were formed in 2015, the call to action for business was to use the Sustainable Development Goals as an investment framework. So business can find an investment opportunity in all of the Sustainable Development Goals. I think when those two come together, it gives business a much longer horizon. Uh, we always believe that business cannot succeed when the society around it is failing. So it's very important for business to look at how it can invest in the climate transition. Mm. It can invest in renewable energy transitions. It can invest in food system transitions. Of course, uh, issues such as infrastructure, very important. That's SDG 9 and a key focus of, of uh, the Belt and Road Initiative as well. Indeed, the uh, Belt and Road Initiative Conference is aiming to lay out the future directions and sustainability is one of the uh, priorities in the future. So as an expert on sustainable development, how do you assess the level of sustainability of the BRI and how can you further catalyze its future development in this area? 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that is obviously done between a bilateral, you know, uh, government uh, uh, funding and assessment uh, framework. But certainly, I think some of the things that you'd want to look at in terms of sustainability, first, I think, is the environmental footprint, you know, um, you know, how uh, carbon friendly or climate friendly are these projects? A lot of them as infrastructure. Have they disrupted the natural environment, for example? Or do they aim to also go back and restore and rebuild environment when that has happened? Has there been community displacement, for example, and what does that look like? I think another element of sustainability is the extent to which local communities are involved, engage perhaps in the project, and also support the project in the longer term. Mm. You know, from a workforce perspective, and I talk about this related to our, our principles, for example, you know, what has been the labor force engagement, the terms of that work, looking at occupational health and safety, for example, looking at how well projects are integrated into local economies. And of course, there's obviously the financial sustainability of all of the project. So right. there's many ways that you could take a look at it. And then ultimately, you know, what is the longevity of the projects? Because these are large investments, significant, significant capital investments, and very important to make sure that they serve the populations at hand. Hmm. What is your assessment of BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative, in foster public-private partnerships? Right. You know, and as I said, you know, it's, it's, it's the 10th anniversary. I mean, there's been quite a scale and scope of diverse projects from around the world. It is evident, obviously, that there is great partnership between the government of China and, you know, the other countries where these projects have been implemented. So I think, by and large, obviously, that engagement has progressed well. Mm. Um, I can't speak to all of the, 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 the public-private engagement, but I think it's very clear that private sector has been engaged. And I think mm. some of the things we heard from the steering committee on, on which I sit is, there's certainly more opportunity as we look forward to engage more local and national companies in, in the BRI, in the construction, in the longevity, mm. and the sustainability. And that was one of the issues raised by a number of the steering committee members that we have. Mm -hmm. well, one thing about the private sector is they can find market-oriented solution to a lot of uh, issues. What do you think are the most promising areas for private sector to provide solutions to our sustainability issues? Yeah. I mean, there's a number. For sure, first of all, technology is really driving uh, a lot of the, the, the opportunities in the world. And I think, you know, it ranges from where you sit in the world, you know, AI and, yeah. you know, a lot of uh, quantum computing solutions can really help move forward on, on uh, issues that are more advanced, you know, on healthcare, on financial mm. inclusion, certainly on envisioning what the, the future of the world looks like. But on the other hand, I think there's some very simple things and ways in which you can advance technology in education, mm -hmm. in healthcare, in agriculture. So there are many ways that technology can be deployed. And I think we need to use more of that simply to move us away from the brick and mortar way of looking at development, mm -hmm. but also seeing how we can advance. So for me, technology, innovation, uh, workforce um, partnerships would be really critical. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African. How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there.
Let's turn to international cooperation. As the world emerges from the pandemic, many economies are hit hard during the past three years. And in some places of the world, sustainability took a back seat. What do you think are the biggest challenges in uh, the uh, global cooperation on sustainable development? Yeah. Well, I firmly believe, and, and we've heard this from our CEOs around the world, is that you know it really is important to maintain a strong and robust multilateral framework for businesses to thrive. If you mm -hmm. think of any multinational, they need open borders. They yeah. need the ability to source inputs, to get the best of global talent, to sell their products and services. So during the, the, the three years when we're in the heat of the pandemic, for example, I think businesses were truly advocating for a stronger multilateral framework for, for their, their businesses and, and really for their supplies and for the supply chain. So I think it's very, very important. I think businesses cross, cross borders and that's an important uh, opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. The Forward Faster initiative was officially launched in September this year. How do you envision it to make a tangible difference in accelerating sustainable development? So, you know, this September marked an important uh, reflection point for, for the United Nations. Uh, in our high-level week, we talked about the fact that the sustainable development goals might be halfway there, but we're definitely not halfway done. Um, I think the events of the last three years, we spoke about the COVID pandemic, crisis around the world, mm. the climate crisis, have really slowed down what could have been excellent momentum on the sustainable development goals. So the UN Global Compact, we took the opportunity to launch a campaign forward faster to um, provide a platform for our businesses to drive forward faster on the sustainable development goals. So we set ambitious targets around areas where we believe business can make a significant impact on the sustainable development goals. These are things such as climate action, gender equality, water resilience, uh, sustainable finance. And we think that if businesses engage at a much higher level and bring together their supply chains and their value chains, we will be able to move progress on the SDGs. Mm. Well, these are a very important goals. Um, how confident are you uh, that the initiative can deliver? Well, I think as confident as we need to be, because if not the sustainable development goals as a global framework, I think the question is, what else? Mm -hmm. And I do feel that, you know, we have mobilized our private sector well. We definitely need to get more companies on board. We need to drive that ambition forward. The goals that we've set are not any separate or different from national development plans. Private sector is a key part and a key implementer, along with government, mm -hmm. on national development plans. So we see a great synergy um, in this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And how would you like Chinese companies to engage in this initiative? Absolutely. So here in China, we have a, a local network, UN Global Compact China. It's part of the UN family here. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about 872 companies that are part of, of the Global Compact here in China. We want more Chinese companies to join. We have state-owned enterprises as well as private enterprise. And many of them are huge, you know, significant um, uh, you know, players in the global economy, significant players in the um, local economy. They're able to shape and influence, for example, I think what happens in China. We need more companies, more state-owned enterprises and private sector to do the same. Mm. A lot of Chinese companies are working closely with their foreign counterparts in certain sectors. In your opinion, how can BRI further accelerate technology cooperation and promote shared prosperity? 
I think the very fact that BRI spans borders and spans, I think it's over 130 countries. Again, that type of partnership with a strong public-private um, partnership element is very critical. Technology transfer, very important. Mm. Skills transfer, ca capacity building across borders, I think is absolutely very important. And then really there's the fact that infrastructure, by and large, builds bridges. You know, BRI is not simply about infrastructure. It brings with it job creation, mm. income creation, the opportunity for employment. Uh, the developments and, and the investments are not simply in bridges. We've seen education, we've seen health, we've seen a number of different investments, water and water stewardship. So I think the, the scale and the scope of the BRI has truly the opportunity to transform not just development, but certainly multilateralism as well. Mm. And a lot of uh, Chinese companies are investing in Africa, which is, has enormous potential for sustainable development. Uh, could you elaborate on how the GABI can further uh, promote sustainable development and economic growth across the African continent, and how can companies leverage this yeah. framework? You know, the African continent, I think, has the opportunity to allow the world to solve many of the existing problems. We talk about a climate transition. The African continent has an abundance of, of solar energy and opportunities for renewables. Uh, we talk about the food systems transition, large amount of arable uh, land, uh, labor force, etc. You know, talk about a digital transition. You have a youthful population, you have markets. Um, and, and so, you know, Africa for me represents a huge opportunity, not just for itself, but for the world. So mm -hmm. I think that's one. You talked about uh, GABI, the Global Africa Business Initiative. It's a platform that we launched at the UN Global Compact two years ago, mm -hmm. really aiming to help reposition the narrative around the African continent. It's often seen as one framed through you know, uh, relief and development and, and challenge, but yet from everything I've said, you know, huge market, uh, huge consumer mm -hmm. market, youthful market, abundance of resources. I think the opportunity exists for people to see Africa Africa for the investment destination that it is. And also to, no, to, to note the, the immense potential of the private sector in helping drive that investment forward. So when we've met over two years, we most recently met in September and had a forum that focused on energy and the energy transition, mm. inclusive growth and trade, very important because Africa is a huge trade market for itself, but also for the world. And we also looked at digital transformation. And those three things I think we determined could really drive forward Africa's development and provide solutions for the world. Mm -hmm. I know Gabby is providing support for companies to navigate the unique challenges and opportunities in Africa. And how can Chinese companies better make use of this? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, we did have some Chinese companies in attendance. We do feel that, you know, Gabby is not only about Africa, it's about people who partner with Africa and who invest in Africa. We do want to see the platform and the engagement grow much larger. Again, we've already talked about some of the relationships between China and many countries on the African continent. We see the opportunity to strengthen that, but also for Chinese companies to highlight, you know, the investment opportunities in the various African countries and showcase also the successes of those investments and you know help attract further investment further support for the, the further partnership with the African private sector as well mm -hmm. and one thing is particularly needed is financing and um, how can the government better uh, mobilize the private investment into sustainability areas 
Very important. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the need to really raise the amount of investment capital that is important, yeah. not simply financing projects or, you know, but really investing in what is the potential. Um, a lot has been said, and our Secretary General talks a lot about the need for reform in the multilateral uh, lending system and, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a bit more equitable and inclusive uh, lending infrastructure for many economies around the world, in, in the developing world, and particularly on the African continent. So I think that, number one, is the first opportunity. The second is to be able to direct capital to projects that are sustainable and inclusive. And I think that is also very important. There's an abundance of projects that we've talked about around climate, investing in climate transition, mm -hmm. investing in the energy transition, investing certainly in food systems transition. So one, it's you know looking at how there's, we can avail more capital, capital equitably for um, investments on the continent. Secondly, is preparing and ensuring there's this pool of bankable and investable projects that can then uh, provide a platform for investment in the continent. Transparency is a critical issue when it comes to uh, sustainable development, when it comes to a green agenda. Uh, how do you think we should step up the uh, rule setting and standard setting as we are garnering cooperation across different continents? Yeah, transparency, I think, is absolutely very important uh, for longevity. I'll look at it from two angles. First, from mm -hmm. a sustainability angle, you know, there's always the need to make sure that we can transparency report on progress, challenges, and opportunities. Obviously, at the national level or macro level, that happens at, um, you know, when one does uh, project evaluations. But I think also within companies, and that's an area within which we work, is to encourage companies every year to take stock of what they're able to do. Um, I know some of the uh, sustainability reporting is regulated or mandated. We look at a more a voluntary approach, but a very rigorous and thorough approach to make sure that companies can look at a couple of things their carbon or their climate footprint, their respect and promotion of rights, whether or not they are actually actively uh, promoting anti-corruption measures within their work, and then other more sectoral elements uh, for reporting, absolutely very important. A lot of focus right now goes obviously on the environmental elements because they're mm. very scientifically driven, but you know, of equal measure and importance are some of the social elements of these um, projects around inclusivity, around uh, decent work and, and economic growth, I think are very important. And then the governance of projects, I think, is one that, you know, we, we know can truly impact both negatively and positively um, how long and how sustainable projects are. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. And you know the countries around the world are at different development stages and they have different priorities. How do you bridge the gap uh, between different countries when it comes to sustainability? 
Right. You know, I think for us, standards are standards. I don't think you can say one country can uh, have lesser ambition on climate than others. We live in one world. And, uh, you know, if there's a climate crisis on one part of the world, we actually feel it on the other side as well. Mm. When there's political instability on one side of the world, we feel it globally. The world is, is, is a village, and it's a very small village. You know, look at the pandemic, for example. No matter where you were in the world, we were all impacted. The current climate crisis plays out every day in different countries in the same way. So for us, and when we look at private sector, we think it's very important that we can hold businesses to account at the same level, no matter what um, the, the issues at hand are. I do acknowledge it's a very different uh, reporting or accountability environment for a large multinational as it is for a small and medium enterprise, but we work at the Global Compact to support and to handhold businesses of all sizes to enable them to be accountable. You know, I think for smaller businesses, if you start now developing a culture of transparency, of accountability, and of high ambition, First of all, it makes you more attractive to providers of capital. It makes you a more attractive business partner, certainly a more attractive partner for overall uh, longer-term sustainability projects. So we don't necessarily differentiate. I think what is more important is understanding the value of reporting and being transparent. Mm -hmm. And there are talks about climate justice, and some countries are disproportionately affected by the uh, the climate crisis. Do you think that developing countries and developed countries have their different share of responsibility and financially because they're a different economy? Yeah, and that, that's one where I think, you know, in the climate conferences, the COPs as we call them, yeah. that debate comes up. As you may recall in, it in the last... It goes on forever. COP, <laughs> it goes on for a while. As you may recall in the last COP in Sharm el-Sheikh, the question of uh, loss and damage ultimately came up. We had an even scratch the surface on the adaptation funding. And of course, there's the big climate mitigation debate. There's also climate financing. It's a broad continuum. I think, you know, one of the key things is to just make sure that we can hold uh, governments to account for the commitments that they have made around climate and I think that's the key issue because a lot of those commitments remain unfulfilled quite frankly. Um, early in September I was in the Africa Climate Summit where African leaders came together mm. to really advance a, a position around uh, climate and climate action for the African continent. It was very clear indeed they're unfulfilled commitments but I think from the African continent the leadership spoke and said they have a desire for Africa not to be viewed as a victim but simply as an investment solution for this very important climate crisis. So I think there's an acknowledgement that there are unfulfilled promises but also an understanding that we must seize opportunities um, and move forward. So yes, it's it's not equal across the, 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 the playing field, but certainly I think there's an increased drive to find more solutions. Underpinning all of this is climate finance and mm -hmm. the real need to invest in climate transformation and climate transitions. Mm -hmm. And that brings a broader issue of international cooperation on shared challenges. Uh, the just concluded UN General Assembly, Secretary General Gutierrez actually said the global governance becomes so fractured that it is unable to respond to our challenges such as climate change. Okay. What is your view on the current um, globalization and their ability to drive concerted efforts? Yeah, a very critical. And let me let me go back to to the piece that you mentioned with the the SG Secretary Guterres around uh, climate, for example. Mm. I think the facts and statistics tell us that about eighty percent of the emissions 
come from 20% of the world, mm. but yet it is a global catastrophe. So the question here is how can we leverage or exert enough pressure on that 20% and primarily it's from large G20 economies to really make the commitments to mitigate and to decarbonize at the scale and scope that is needed. With that, then the rest of the world can then proceed on their own mitigation plans, look forward into climate adaptation and build resilience to go forward. But for that, you need a very united, obviously, uh, a framework to be able to do that and, uh, you know, not have a fractured and split world as you've talked about. So I think those are some of the challenges that we do face around it. But as I said earlier, the world is too interconnected to be able to do that. I think SG has always called for, you know, rebuilding of the multilateral framework. It'll solve many things, as I said. The climate crisis has no borders. The need for renewable energy also has no borders. Similarly, uh, the food systems transition is very important. So global food security comes into play. Uh, issues such as digital transformation we talked about that are absolutely borderless. And so mm. it's imperative really for, I think, all of the sustainable development uh, goals and ambition that we can use the multilateral framework as a true um, opportunity for cooperation. A lot of young professionals are also aspiring to make a change in the uh, sustainable development area. What advice would you like to give to them? Yeah. What I'd say is, I mean, I think we need the younger voices to keep this debate alive. Um, you know, we, we are, you know, advocating for goals that come to being in 2030. These are really goals for the future and, and, and for much of our younger generation who will live through 2030 and beyond. It's regrettable that we are in the crises that we are, but I do feel a lot of optimism and hope when I talk to young people because one, they're very clear about accountability. They're very clear about the choices they make as young consumers. They're very clear about their expectations from CEOs and leaders and governments. And I think that young people really do hold a lot of hope for what is an open, fair and, and transparent world going forward. It's a lot of responsibility, but I think we uh, then sitting in offices as, as we do and around the world owe it to the younger generation to provide a space for them at the table and to articulate and advocate for their needs. Because after all, the sustainable development goals are truly not for us. I think we've you know, lived through our time. It's about creating a better world for the future. Mm. Well, we have to leave it there. Many thanks again to our esteemed guest, Sanda Ojambo, for sharing her invaluable insights on mobilizing businesses to advance sustainable development goals through initiatives like the UN Global Compact. It's clear there are still challenges to align priorities across countries and sectors. But through open dialogue and collaborative action, the private sector can act as a catalyst for transformative changes towards a resilient future. And the Belt and Road Initiative demonstrates the amplifying effect when governments, companies, and communities come together around a shared vision. And that's all for this special edition for BizTalk, exploring the Belt and Road Initiative and the critical role of private sector engagement. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, bye for now. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away. Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, 
New Lang said, Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home.